0: Well, Happy New Year. Year. All right. My name is Bill Carson. I'm uh, Director of Student Ministries, one of the elders here, and I'm excited about kicking off 2016 with this uh, brand new series, Who We Are. We're going to dig into uh, our six signature themes as a church, covering one theme each week. And it's a great way to start off this new year. I mean, what does 2016 hold for us as a church? What does 2016 hold for you as an individual? What does 2016 hold for your family? What does 2016 hold for your career or your education? What does 2016 hold for your spiritual journey? I've been tasked with talking about this signature theme, being real and relevant. It's in our logo, one of the logos we use, being real and relevant. It's right there, real, relevant, right in the middle of our Stable and Fellowship Church logo. And we're going to dig into those two words specifically as we think about 2016 and what it holds for us as a church and for you as an individual. I'm going to start off with uh, reading this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 43. I believe that God brought this Scripture to me for this day for you. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. These are the words of God through the prophet Isaiah. He says, forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry Wasteland. Let's pray. Father, take your words that we just read and drive them deep into our hearts, deep into our souls, deep into our minds. May we see what you are doing and going to do. Open our minds. Open our hearts to what you want to say to us today. We give you this time. We give you ourselves. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. As I look at that passage of Scripture, it is a message for the people of Israel. From God through the prophet Isaiah. He was predicting to them. And they had had some highs and they had had some lows. They had gone through captivity and slavery. And they had won some wars and some victories. They had seen it all. And Isaiah speaks the words of God to them and to us today by saying, forget all that all your victories that you've had in the past, all the, the great things that have gone on in your life, forget that. Don't live on your past victories. Some of us do that. You know, back when I played college baseball, we live in our past victories, and we kind of dwell there. And God is saying to us through this passage, we can't live and be carried by our past victories, nor can we dwell on our past defeats. God says to you and I today, forget all that. Forget it. It's time to move forward. God says that, Those victories, those defeats, it is nothing. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. God is speaking to us today. He's speaking into your heart. He's speaking into your mind. He's speaking into your life, into your family, into your career, into your future, into our church. And he's saying, forget all that because I am going to do something that will not compare. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see? Do you not see? We sometimes don't see what God is doing. We want to see. We would like it to be a little more direct. We'd like it to be right in front of our face. He says, I've already begun. When you think you've hit rock bottom, when you've gone through struggles and difficulties, and you don't know what is what the future holds, God says, "Hey, I've got this under control because I've already begun a new work. I'm going to do something that will not compare to what's gone on." And God is giving us very specifics. He says, "I will make a pathway through the wilderness." you feel like you've wandered in the wilderness, God is saying, I'm going to make a pathway. Hold on. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't focus on the past because I have a pathway through that wilderness for you. And he also says, I'll create rivers in the dry wasteland. Rivers, moisture, growth. God is going to create that for you in 2016, for me in 2016, for our church in 2016. So we think about these words being real and being relevant as we kick off this new year. I want to start with the first word, relevant. Relevant, it's in your notes. Relevant is the message of faith in Christ doesn't change but the methods change. That's what being relevant is. Relevant is the message. It doesn't change. But the methods change. We want to be used by God to make a pathway through the wilderness for people in Stapleton, in Northeast Denver, and around the world. We want to be a church that makes a pathway, that points out a pathway for people to make it through the wilderness. We want to create a river. We want to be used by God to create a river in the dry wasteland. And that is a relevant church, a church that has the message of faith in Christ. that doesn't change, but the methods change. In Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. The word of God, the words of Christ, they never change. They never disappear. They always will be true. The message doesn't change, but our methods must change as we are the church of 2016, what methods will be effective in reaching our community and our culture for Christ? What methods do are we going to use to reach people who have never gone to church before? How are we going to reach them? How are we going to reach people who've been in church all of their lives? How are we as a church going to reach people who used to be in church but have become disillusioned and maybe stepped away from church? How are we going to reach them? These are questions that we need to wrestle with as a church. I grew up in two churches primarily, from the age of seven on, my, both my parents, they were raised in very conservative churches, very legalistic churches. And so when they became adults, they had gotten away from the Lord and away from the church, and they kind of did their own thing. And when I was seven years old and my sister was five, my parents said, You know what? It's time for us to, to raise our kids. With the Lord and in the church. And so at seven years old, my parents took me and my sister back to church. My parents, they were, they were smokers at the time. And, and they decided this was a whole new transformation. We're going to go back to church. We're going to quit smoking. We're going to get back close to God. That was kind of their big New Year's resolution. And I remember that my parents used to go to this warehouse. I grew up in Arvada, right here in the Denver area, and we used to drive down Wadsworth to Colfax in Lakewood, and and they would go to this warehouse that was sold cigarettes by the cases, discounted. And and so so this new year they decided we're not going to buy cigarettes from the store, but instead we're going to go. They also sold candy and gum and mint. And they needed something for their hands, they said. And I learned this as a seven year old. And so they decided they're gonna drive down Wadsworth Boulevard to Colfax to this warehouse and get a box and just start loading it up with candy and mints and gum and some more gum. I mean I was like, This is awesome. It's like Halloween again. It's cool. And they're like, Oh no, no, this is this is for your mom, mom and dad. We're trying to we're trying to, you know, cup cut back on cigarettes, and, and break the habit. And they did. They did. Now, they gained a little little weight. But they quit smoking. And we went to church. And, and the main, we went to two churches when I was growing up, but the main church for the the bulk of the years was a very traditional church, and it it had the the pitched roof with the steeple and some small stained glass windows on the outside, and it had an education wing, and and inside it it had the the piano on one side, the organ on the other of the stage, had a big bulky wooden pulpit, and it had a choir loft. No choir ever sang in it, but it had a choir loft. And I, I remember... The most vivid thing about that sanctuary was the wooden pews. As a seven-year-old, I hated wooden pews. To this day, they're so uncomfortable. Oh, and I don't know who invented the pad on wooden pews, but I thank the Lord for them. And that was a very traditional church that I grew up in. It wasn't until I was in high school when I had a friend invite me to a Friday night youth service. And I went with him, and he, he said, it's going to be awesome. There's going to be this band that plays, and I just thought, what? And sure enough, there was drums and guitars and keyboards and singers, like several. And I was like, wow. They don't have an organ and piano. They don't have hymnals. That's the songbook for those of you that aren't familiar with. You're like, hymnal? Yeah. And, and, And I loved it. It was so cool. And they did that service once a month, and I tried to go when I could. I even took a girl there on a first date. It was crazy. I don't know how she liked it. We didn't have a second date. And I went to college, and I began to expand my horizons about this whole church thing. And I realized that the church that I grew up was about 20 years behind its culture. And I began to realize, well, no wonder there was decline in attendance. And and no wonder that the crowd... Year after year, when I go back to visit, got older and older and smaller and smaller. The church that I grew up in eventually closed because it was not relevant in its community and in its culture. They had the message of faith in Christ, but they didn't change the methods. I've been involved in student ministry off and on since I was 20 years old. And I'm not doing things in student ministry today the way I did them 25 and 30 years ago. I remember my first summer of student ministry, I was a paid youth intern. I was so excited. A church of about 150, and they had 12 teenagers in the church. And, and there was one family that, had, that was a blended family that had five of those teenagers. It was awesome. I'd just make one phone call to that family, and I'd say, hey, how's it going? How many How many are coming to youth group tonight? Well, Joe's got to work, Latrina, Fred, Donnie. Uh, they'll be there. Not sure about Laura. She's not, she's not around. So I'm like, that's three for sure, maybe four. It's going to be a great night. Yeah. And, and I'll just be honest with you. I'll be real. I'll keep it real here. I thought that pastors wore suits and ties all the time because the pastor I grew up with, that's what he did. I even saw pastors in college that did that. So here I'm a 20-year-old summer youth intern showing up my first Wednesday night youth group, put on my khakis, put on my white button-down shirt, put on my navy blue knit tie that was squared at the bottom, I put on my off-white fake satin sport coat because that's all I could afford as a college student. And I showed up for like 10 or 12 students that Wednesday night, and, and we had a gym. And so we played group games, and I had my dress shoes on, and I was sliding around in the gym, and my tie was making me uncomfortable, and the jacket was getting. And I realized, why am I doing this? But I kept doing it because I thought pastors wore suits and ties to church, including youth pastors. And so finally, I'm not sure exactly how long it took for it to sink in that I probably didn't need to do that. My pastor didn't tell me I needed to do that. And so finally I asked him, hey, I was wondering if maybe I wear something a little different. And he's like, yeah. Yeah. I've been wondering why you, I didn't want to say anything. I just, you know, I was like for crying out loud. And so I'm glad that I'm not doing things the way I, I used to do. Now the message in our student ministry is the same. The love and care for our students is the same. But the methods are different. There's new technologies and new strategies. And it's the same way here at our church. We use music. It's relevant. We use technology. We use videos. We use language. And we even use this building to be relevant to our culture. The things that we do and the way we structure things are intentional to be relevant. 1 Corinthians 9:22 and 23. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. This is why we do what we do, why we're trying to be relevant as a church, to reach as many people for Christ as we can keeping it relevant, keeping it relevant. The message doesn't change. The methods must change. In your life, are you keeping it relevant with your family, with your children, with your nephews and nieces, the people you come in contact with, uh, that you're trying to share the good news You know, sometimes I mentioned language. Sometimes we we as Christians, we get this Christianese, this language, you know. And and I I, I always wonder about people that have no knowledge, you know. It's like, what are they? Well, God bless you. May the Lord keep you and hold you and sustain you through and through. You know, it's like King James Version, and we just talk like that. And sometimes that's natural, and that's how we grew up, and we're used to that. But but even in our language, we need to communicate on a level that's relevant because we're trying to reach people for Christ. The second thing that is in our uh, signature theme that I want to talk about today is, is real. Real, not pretending To be something that we are not, but recognizing we all have room for growth. Not pretending to be something we're not, but recognizing we all have room for growth. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Who is the head of his body, the church? That's real. Now I've I've learned about this phrase real. I've learned from a, a very uh, interesting, you know, in, uh, a source that all of us learn from. It's Facebook. I learn things from Facebook. Do you like? Are you like me? It's part of my research. Is go to Facebook. Maybe Facebook can help me. This there's a logo with a key. And, and and the uh, the number one hundred, and that stands for keeping it a hundred, keeping it real, keeping it a hundred percent. So sometimes some of the, the the students or the college young adults that I am friends with on Facebook, I'll I'll see their posts and and they're just gonna tell it like it is, and and they say I'm keeping it a hundred, keeping it a hundred. And that's what we are trying to do as a church. We're just keeping it 100. We're keeping it real. Keeping it 100%. We're not pretending to be something that we're not. We all have room for growth. And we want to be a church that recognizes that we need God to do a new thing in our life and in our church. When I uh, was in college, I worked at a nursing home. And I used to do janitorial and maintenance. And and when I was on the janitorial assignment, they would give me a block of rooms to clean. Sometimes residents would be in their rooms. Sometimes they wouldn't. I'd go in and clean. And there was one room in particular that I remember. I don't remember her name, but I can visualize her. And she would sit in her wheelchair or she'd sit in her bed or she'd sit in her chair but she she used to walk her sometimes, but she, she had trouble walking, but she was very sharp, very bright, very funny, very interesting to talk to. And she obviously had family and friends that loved her because around the holidays she'd get tons of cards and and birthday cards and Christmas cards. And we'd talk about those things as I cleaned her room. But she, in, inevitably during the conversation, she would call me over and she'd open up a cleaned out little butter a butter container that was cleaned out and she'd pull the lid off and it would have butterscotch candies and she'd reach out and say, take one, take one. And then I'd say, I'll, I'll put it in my pocket for later. Thank you. I love butterscotch candies. And then she'd go, take take another, take another, take another. And I'd take another. I'd say, thank you very much. And then she'd look at me. It happened every time I went in a room. She'd look at me. She'd go, Bill, you're such a good boy. And then there'd be a long pause and the smirk would come. And she'd go, When you're sleeping, she'd laugh. It's true. We're all good when we're sleeping, aren't we? We're good. We're perfect. We don't need any, we we don't need to grow. When we're asleep, we're good. The real, she she kept me real, kept me humble. And that's the truth. The real truth is that when we're sleeping, we're good. But when we're awake, we have areas in our life that we need to grow. Being real requires an appropriate vulnerability. It's appropriate. There's a time and a place to kind of spill spill our guts, to share our stuff. There's a time and a place for that. And we need to have that time and that place. We need those people in our life so we can just be vulnerable to. And being vulnerable, it's in your notes, it helps you not think too highly of yourself. When you just can say, hey, I need some help in this area or that area. Because some of us... When we're not, when we don't have those people in our life, when we're not vulnerable, when we're always on, and when we're always acting like everything's fine, we think too highly of ourselves. Also, having appropriate uh, vulnerability helps others realize there's hope for them. There's hope for them. It helps others. And by us just kind of saying, hey, here's what I've gone through. Here's where I'm at. It keeps us humble and helps others realize there's hope. As I think about this phrase, real, I think of that phrase, uh, no perfect people allowed. We even did a a whole series with that title here in the past. And and, uh, I ran across this quote from one of my Facebook friends. And I wanted to include it. It's it's a great quote from a pastor. His his name's Perry Noble. Maybe you've heard of him. He pastors New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina. They have 19 campuses, 19 campuses all across South Carolina. They have a weekly average attendance of over 32,000 people. Their goal as a church is to reach 100,000 people in South Carolina for Christ. he apparently is addressing a complaint from someone about a guy who was smoking outside his church. He says... If the guy smoking by the door of the church bothered you, I'm so glad you didn't come inside because we have people addicted to pornography and prescription drugs in this building. We have people who are having sex with people they're not married to. We have people who have bitterness and anger and greed and resentment. We have all kinds of sinners and jacked-up people in here. (laughs) If the smoker by the door bothered you, the people inside would bother you even more because we are not. A museum for saints, we're a hospital for sinners. No perfect people allowed. (laughs) Whew. Hmm. That's keeping it real right there. That's keeping it real. Have you uh, heard of this uh, children's book called The Velveteen Rabbit? I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I could because it's pretty good. But I wanted to read you a few paragraphs. There's a boy that uh, he got a, uh, a velveteen rabbit, a rabbit made out of velveteen. It's similar to velvet. He got it for Christmas, and he set it aside for a while, but eventually he started playing with it and sleeping with it. And, and this rabbit had a conversation with the skin horse in the nursery. And the skin horse had lived longer in the nursery than any of the others. He was so old that his brown coat was bald in patches and showed the seams underneath and most of the hairs in his tail had been pulled out to string bead necklaces. He was wise. For he had seen a long succession of mechanical toys arrive to boast and swagger and by and by, break their mainsprings and pass away. And he knew that they were only toys and would never turn into anything else. For nursery magic is very strange and wonderful. And only those placings that are old and wise, experienced like the skin horse, understand all about it. What is real? asked the rabbit one day. When they were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana came in to tidy the room, does it mean having things that buzz inside you and stick out a stick out handle? Real isn't how you were made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you when a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you. Then... You become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for it was always truthful. When you're real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. <laughs> takes a long time. To become real, doesn't it? Why should we pretend to be something we're not? Instead, we should just say, you know what? I recognize. I've got room for growth in my life. And I want to become real. want to become real. want to read that passage of Scripture in Isaiah 43 again. And I want you to think about in context of your life, your family, your career, your education, and our church. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. So the challenge for us today as we stand at the beginning of 2016 is to hear God's voice and hear this message in our heart from Isaiah 43, that if we're going to be a real and relevant church, it starts with us. We're not going to pretend to be something we're not. We're going to acknowledge we have room for growth. We're going to be relevant to reach people for Christ. You can't see what God is doing? Well, know that God is doing more under the surface than what we can see. And there's other people that can see it, and you can cling on to their their faith, and you can cling on to their belief. They see it in you. There's people in my life, that believed in me and that saw something when I didn't see it in myself. And there's people in your life that may see something in you that you don't see for yourself. Someone believed in me and saw what God could do in my life when I didn't see it. Who do you need to reach out to in a relevant way to reach for Christ at this year? Who do you need to show that you believe in them and that you see what God can do in their life? Who do you need to be real with? And how can you get involved with our church to help us reach our goal of being real and relevant as we reach people for Christ?